Hello and welcome back to another episode of A Blessing in Divorce. Today I want to talk to you about healing. And I think you'd probably say I talk a lot about that, but it's the most important part of this journey that we're going through. You know, when you're going through separation and divorce or any amount of challenges in your life, maybe you're dealing with a loss or maybe you have a new relationship and it just ended. Either way, dealing or rather healing is one of those things that move us forward. And healing is acceptance and understanding and so many things. And I'm going to talk about all of that today. So, but I, I want to break it down in a way that's practical and useful for you so that you can embrace these tools and actually like write them down and start working through them on your own or with others as, as we go through this. So my suggestion is that you listen to this if you're out for a walk or a drive and listen through it, but then perhaps re-listen to parts of it when you get home so you can write down some of these steps. Today is a toolbox, so let's get started. Hello and welcome back to another episode of A Blessing in Divorce. I am so grateful to be allowed into your headset and day today. My name is Elizabeth, and I'm the host of this podcast and the owner and founder of The Separation Club, which is the club you never wanted to be part of, but the best club to be in if you're going through separation and divorce. Here, we talk about how to heal, move forward, and find love if you're so inclined. Also, motherhood through divorce, finding yourself, and creating the life you deserve. Our tools are community, sisterhood, honesty, vulnerability, spirituality, and coaching, and that's when we aren't talking to our experts. I'm also a divorced mother of four adult sons, remarried and a stepmom to three. So we will be talking about everything that goes with all of that here. If you are recently separated, thinking of separating, divorcing, or even beyond your divorce, but still feeling it, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome back. So why is it that healing from a broken relationship is so hard for us? We really, in many ways, fight it. We are unhappy, perhaps, for years. And even though you might be sitting here listening to this thinking, I didn't want this, I wasn't unhappy, I wanted my marriage. And I hear that. But in truth, there probably was problems. And even if in your mind you were okay with the way things were, it isn't any more fair to make someone else stay in a relationship with us if they don't want that than it is for us to stay in something we don't want or even for us to ask someone to kind of stay just for our sake. That's about us and our ego, right? And we have to ask ourselves, then why are we still in it? So I want to get into all of this with you today. And I I would just want to bring attention to that. This is this is going to be one an episode that's really asking you to be honest with yourself to really look at what you're thinking and why and asking yourself some really challenging questions. Um, Sometimes the hardest thing is to be honest about ourselves and our part in something that has broken. Um, It's not that it's your fault. This is not about that. In fact, I want to make, I will be making very clear and I'll start off by saying it now. This is not about blame, whether it's on your ex or yourself. This is, this episode is nothing about whose fault it is. This episode is about healing. But in order for us to heal, we have to be honest about what is going on in our life. We have to be honest about 
what's happening and why and our part and where we stand now and what we want all of these things so i want let's just get into it instead of me going on about everything in pieces let me just dive into it a bit um or get started anyway I do have notes in front of me here because there's really so much I want to cover with you. So pardon me while I look down for those of you who are watching this on YouTube and see the video. So first I want to address the reality that we all tend to embrace, if you will, whether we do it consciously or not, some more unhelpful or destructive ways to try to deal with the pain we feel when we realize that our marriage is over. And again, I want to draw attention to that you might be in the situation where the marriage ended by the hand of the other person, but you also might be the one who chose to end it, but not because of some joyful, happy event, but because you've been in pain for maybe many years and you've finally been able to make the decision that it's time to move forward and end this relationship. And so we feel that pain. We feel grief over what, you know, is no longer going to be. We feel pain and sorrow over the lost family unit. Um, We feel pain and sorrow around, you know, that it once was so good and there were all these memories and you share children and a home and a life together and what happened. Uh, There's so much. So to deal with pain, um, because it's so uncomfortable, we we try different strategies that are not helpful, that are more destructive. For example, we choose to escape. Um, We might escape into victimhood. Uh, In other words, feeling put upon or like this is happening to you and of no doing of your own. Also maybe feeling very uh, like a victim to circumstances and life is just unfair and you are the, you know, the one who carries the burden of that. Uh, the other place we escape to is addiction, for example. Now, it could be alcohol, drugs, um, you know, gaming. These are the typical addictions. But it can also be, you know, addiction to to feeling lousy. Addict- addiction to um, needing this constant reassurance from our friends and our support system in a way that we never get to move past the state of being a victim. When you're, if you're falling into addiction because of this loss, this end of this relationship, it is part of victimhood to fall prey to an addiction of some sorts. It can even be addiction to simply escaping. Um, and so the other ways that you might find yourself doing that is through um, distraction. Distraction, you know, meaning you might um, really uh, busy yourself with things. You might uh, really focus on, for example, the kids and make it all about them and not address your own healing. Um, You might distract yourself with work. You might distract yourself with your addictions. So, you know, these kind of go together. Another one is we kind of sink into despair. And this sort of like, to me, is an even deeper sense of that victimhood mentality. I think we all live for a little while in victimhood you know we can't help it it's like oh my god this is happening to me I can't believe it I'm you know this is awful I'm going to tell all my friends I'm going to get the support I need we all need that stage it just can't last that's all and so we if it does we tend to dip into despair we become potentially depressed you know situationally depressed um, more anxiety hopelessness those kinds of things we might need 
um, a deeper form of therapy, psychotherapy, medication to come out of it. Um, and, and there's no shame here, by the way. It, all I'm saying is that these are the parts of or the emotions or the stages that we go through that are not particularly helpful, that they tend to be work against us more than they work for us. And then, of course, there's avoidance, which is a different form of distraction in that we're just simply avoiding it. Like, I'm fine. Um, and again, the folks might be on the children or the job or getting things done. Or often the focus becomes on the financial, for example. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win this legal fight and I'm going to get him for all he's worth. Or I'm going to, you know, it becomes about the big angry fight. Um, and so that can be a form of avoidance where you're not looking at your pain, you're not looking at your healing, you're not looking at where this anger and this like fighting is coming from. You might tell yourself it's coming from a, a, a good place, but it's not. So that actually leads to, um, to another, you know, destructive sort of way to deal with things. And that is anger. Like I want to just emphasize again that anger is, though a necessary emotion, and I believe what we have to go through but if we stay there and it gets out of control and it starts to lead to vindictive kind of thinking and um, then it becomes destructive, not only to the other person, but it actually becomes destructive to yourself. Anger is a huge emotion and an emotion that can really drive decisions and actions, in a, but not in a, in a way that is true to your being of who you are and it's not true to living a life from a good place of being fair and equal and loving. And I understand that the other person might be coming at you with anger. That doesn't mean you have to return that. But um, actually, I'm not getting into these today. I'm going to get into the solutions today, not the problems. But I wanted to lay them out here so that you are aware of them. So if you're feeling, you know, a lot of anger, then that is a sign that healing needs to be done. And especially if it's been going on for a while, if you find yourself constantly escaping into these places that I just mentioned, again, you probably need some help or these tools are going to be really helpful for you. And then um, another one that I find a lot of my clients, when they first come to me that again, I find to be a, an unhelpful, if you will, way of dealing with it is this sort of unnecessary acceptance of suffering as a way of life. Well, life is hard sometimes. And I hear people say this to me all the time. You know, life can just, life is just hard. I've come to realize life is hard. And that's just the way it is. And, you know, I just have to go through this. I don't know that I agree with that. Yes, there are moments that are really hard, for sure. And by moments, I don't mean like a fleeting moment. I mean, yeah, it can take months, um, weeks, whatever. But I don't think we need to sit down and go, oh, well, life is just hard. And right now life is going to be hard. And, you know, hard is my way of living life, I guess. It's this sort of suffering mentality that, oh, you know, bad things happen and they sure are happening to me right now. And that's just the way it is. Oh, here we go. Here's another bad thing happening to me. As I was saying, life is hard. Life sucks. Life's a bitch. You know, these kinds of things. It's an it's a mentality that is very um, it's like throwing your hands up and just giving into it and not believing that you can make any kind of an impact to change it. So it involves very limited thinking and a limited belief in happiness as being available to you. 
and that doesn't is that's not this is not a state of being that's going to help you heal or move forward towards a happier life. And then the last one, which I kind of mentioned already, but I really just wanted to make a point of saying it, is any kind of blame, whether it's self-blaming or blaming the other. It really that puts you into victim mentality. But this whole blaming thing, it, it is not of any assistance to anyone. Oh, it's all my fault, or I should have done this differently. Now there's such a thing as taking responsibility and reflecting, and I'm gonna get into that where where it's healthy, but when it becomes you know, it's all my fault and I screwed up and no wonder um, this person didn't want to be with me. It's not helpful anymore. So having said all of this, I want to, I want to turn this around now a little bit. I, I wanted to bring to your mind some of these more negative feelings that you might be quite familiar with. I certainly know I went through all of these for a period of time, but then I managed to get myself out of them. I want to bring them to your awareness so that if you recognize yourself in some of the things that I just said, you're going to find this of high value to you. And even if you find that you're already moving past this, I know that the tools I'm going to share with you today will be very helpful. In my preparation for this episode, I wanted to um, bring to mind a more spiritual approach as well. I am sure you know by now that I am a strong believer in in tuning into who we are. It's going to be a big part of what I'm going to talk about today. And uh, in tuning into ourselves, we're also tuning into the energy around us and the world around us and accepting that we're part of something bigger here. You may have heard of the 12 laws of the universe. You may not have heard of that specifically, but you have definitely heard about the law of attraction, which is one of the 12 laws, which is probably the one we all know about. Most of us don't know that it's part of 12 and that there are 11 other ones. And the one I want to talk to you about today is actually not the law of attraction. It's the law of correspondence, as it's called. And this is um, the law of that patterns repeat throughout the universe. And on a personal level, um, our reality is a mirror of what is happening inside us at the moment, meaning what's happening around us mirrors what's happening inside us. For example, if you think of it as, um, as it is above, so it is below, or as it is within me, so it is without or outside of me. Or as you might have more likely heard, you might have heard this one, you know, in social media or something, is happening for you, not to you. Now, I know this one is really tough to hear for some people because some really awful things happen. Some people do make choices, like your ex might be have chosen to do something that was really hurtful, like have an affair. They might have been abusive. Um, they might have been, you know, addicted to alcohol or drugs. And you're thinking, this is happening for me? <laughs> That's hard to take. And I understand. I hear you. But what it's saying, what this what this law of correspondence is saying to you is that there is something in here that you can take from this that will help you. That this did not happen to hurt you. This did not happen to inflict pain on you. Yes, it has done so. But there's something in here that you can take from this that will make life better for you. That's what it's saying. Um, so if your life feels chaotic and fearful, it's because there's chaos and fear within you. And if your life seems calm and grounded, you know, I'm sure you've been there at some point, it's because you felt peace within you at the time. So 
in the troubling situation like you might be in right now, ask what this particular situation can show you about yourself and what requires healing within. This is huge. I'm going to say it one more time. Ask what the situation can show you about yourself. What are you learning about yourself because of what's happened? And what requires healing from within? I want to very quickly bring an example of a coaching session I had with my client yesterday, one of my clients. And she had she is in the process um, of working towards a reconciliation with her husband, which is wonderful. I work with women who do that as well. And they had had a really wonderful day together. And then this little thing happened that set her off on her negative thinking path. And she started to really speak very negatively about herself to herself internally. Like it was an internal an internal narrative that became extremely negative and it changed her whole vibration. And then after that, anything that he said to her felt negative and she actually, she had the wisdom to remove herself. She just chose to go to bed very early because she realized that anything she was going to do at this point was not going to be helpful to anyone. Um, but her question to me is, I couldn't stop myself. Why and how do I stop myself? And as we kind of dug into what it was that had shown up for her at that time, what became evident is that she had a deep wound um, within herself from childhood, which was a fear of disappointing. She felt that she had been a disappointment to her husband that day. And of course she hadn't been, but for there was just this little moment that clicked off that wound, that, that tugged at that wound, and it just showed up. And because she was unaware of the wound itself, she just felt the feeling and it just ran away. Um, with her feelings and, and just this internal dialogue that started to happen. But I believe now she has the tools to realize when that's happening. So she could now, for example, say to herself, that's my disappointment wound. I am not disappointing anyone and I don't need to come down on myself for that. I've had a wonderful day. Like these are some of the tools that I gave her. So what what you do, what you create within when she was doing the negative narrative to herself and, and doing a lot of self-blaming and and that this internal dialogue that was happening, she was starting to feel really awful. And there was no question that that energy was coming out of her as well to the point where it was important that she separate herself physically from, you know, her husband that day by going to bed and just not being around him because she knew nothing good was going to come of it. So that was a good choice that she made. But we don't want to end up in a situation like that. When we're having a good day, we want to feel good at the end of the day and not have a turnaround like that. And I'm sure you can somewhat relate to that these things can suddenly turn. And especially if we're in a difficult situation where there's a lot of pain and a lot of bad things have been said and, and there's a lot of triggers. The triggers are within you. Trigger is an incredible opportunity for you to learn. It's a, it's your body's way of saying, because as you feel that trigger, whether it's in your heart or your gut or your head, you feel that unpleasant feeling. It is literally a moment for you to say, why am I feeling this? What can I learn from this? So that's what's meant by the law of correspondence and that is happening for you, not to you. It is this trigger is happening for you to, to teach you something so that you can deal with the situation better. It doesn't mean that suddenly everything will be resolved. It just is 
there's a way for you to learn to get through this. So let's start working through how we can learn this about ourselves and how we can um, feel more in control of these moments and our healing and our progress forward as we pursue a life of happiness, which is ultimately what we all want. So what I want to share with you is what I did because it worked so well. Uh, I think just about anyone who was around me when I went through this, my close friends, my family would tell you that I I went through it well, meaning I, I, I healed well, I did so fairly quickly, I moved on with my life, and I did so in a truly joyful way, in a real way. I did not avoid, I did not, um, you know, just distract myself or escape. I, I sat with what was happening. And that is my number one point or my number one tool rather that I want to talk to you about today. So I have six of them and this is number one and I call it reflection. Um, I believe that meditation falls under this. At the time, honestly, I knew nothing about meditation, so I can't call it that. But I know that what I called it at the time was reflection. I would sit for literally hours reflecting on what had happened, asking myself a number of questions, questions like, And this is what I mean, by the way, by coming back to this later and writing these questions down so you can journal about them and think about them and and reflect on them in any which way that makes sense to you. So some of the questions that I would ask myself almost every day, or at least until I had my answer, was who am I? That was the first question that came up. You know, when this happened, I was like, I can't believe this has happened. And who am I now? I am no longer a wife. Um, I even felt that my Um, identity as a mother had changed. Um, I wasn't part of a family unit anymore. I was now on my own as a mother. And so that had changed. So who, who am I? You know, this life that I had lived for 20 years was over and who was I now? So that, that was a really big question for me. And in the, in the beginning, it caused a lot of fear because I had no idea what the answer to that was after 20 years. Um, But as I spent time with it, it started to come through. I didn't demand answers of myself. I just kept asking. And then I would wait. I would wait until the answer showed up. I I sat in silence for hours, mostly because I wasn't sleeping a whole lot. And my kids were preteens and teens. So they were up late in the morning. Um, So I'd get up in the morning and I'd have that time. I'm an early riser. So I would just sit and, and just sit and reflect and ask myself this question. So that was the first question I asked myself as I started to get more answers and as things started to like this, these words started to come to me and, and this sort of picture of who I at least had been was becoming clear. Um, I also started to ask myself other questions to get a better understanding of who I wanted to be, because that was, that was my next question. Who do I want to be? Who am I? Who was I? Who have I been? And who do I want to be? So I started asking other questions like, who, I'm sorry, what do I want out of my life? What do I want? What matters to me? What are my values? What do I care about? So, and this one I spent a lot of time on. And I thought, did I live my life in a way that honored what I want? Did I even ask myself? Which the answer to that was no. I never really asked myself what I wanted out of my life. Well, that's not entirely true. I knew I wanted to get married. I knew I wanted to have children and a family. I knew I wanted to stay home with my kids, which is what I chose to do. 
Um, so I didn't know I wanted that, but I hadn't really ever asked myself what I, Elizabeth, wanted, you know, sort of to make, you know, what was my part in this, not just as a mom and as a wife, but what about me? Who was I? And this took me a while to answer, by the way, but it's such an important question. What do I want out of my life? Who do I want to be? Also, what do I want a relationship to look like in the future? Because I knew I didn't want to be alone forever. I wasn't in a rush to get into a relationship, I can tell you that, but I I knew that that's where I'd want to be again one day. And so I asked myself, what do I want a relationship to feel like? And this is the important thing I learned through all this reflecting was to not just ask about sort of the ego, like, what do I want it to look like? And what do I want, you know, him to to look like and be like, like all these, like this long list of you must be good looking and financially independent and all the the ego stuff, right? The outside stuff that really actually doesn't matter. It was the question of what do I want a future relationship to feel like? That was the value question. What do I want it to feel like? I want it to feel kind and loving and mutual. That was really important to me because I did realize through all my reflecting that it had been a long time since I felt as loved in our marriage as I felt I loved him. I felt that the relationship had been very uneven. I didn't feel that he much cared for who I was as a person anymore. Like once, you know, that had just worn off for him. So, and that's not a good feeling. It's not a good feeling when you feel like you're giving more than you're getting. I mean, we all go through stages like that, but when it's always like that. So I knew what I wanted, or I started at least to get a sense of what I wanted my relationship, my future relationship or a future relationship to feel like. I wanted to feel love both ways. I wanted to feel mutual kindness and caring, mutual respect. I wanted to feel mutual honesty and loyalty. These were feelings. That was way more important to me than what he potentially looked like, how much money he was making, uh, whether he could recite poetry or cared about romantic walks on the beach. Those things are bonuses. Those things are nice. But I also believed that if I found someone who cared for me and cared about our relationship the way that I cared about it, I could always ask for those things and I would get them. So that was one of my questions that I asked, and this is still under number one, by the way, during my reflecting. I also asked myself how I wanted to show up in the relationship. Who did I want to be? I wanted to be honest with myself. I wanted to be true to myself. I wanted to show up as who I really am and stop trying to fit in. Stop trying to be someone based on what I would think that he would want and, and kind of adjust myself. I wanted to show up as me. I wanted to be loved for who I am not for who I can possibly form myself into, okay? That's really big. That was really big for me. And that was really tied to my internal integrity and integrity as a value, core value of mine. Uh, and one of the last ones I asked as well, another question I asked was, what do I want from a future partner? So I think I've already addressed that, but these were some of the questions that I asked myself during my hours, days, weeks, and months of reflecting. And these answers started to come to me. And after a while, I, I didn't need to ask anymore. I knew the answer to all of those questions. And that felt so good. And you know, just that alone, 
put me in a place of where I felt healed. I knew myself. I was connected to my voice, my heart, my soul, whatever you want to call it, my warrior self. I knew what I wanted. It meant that when I was asked a question about something, you know, do you want to do it this way or that way? I could tap into myself in seconds and say, this is what I want to do. Not in a selfish way, not in a self-serving way, just in a self-preservation and self-loving way. This is, this is what makes the most sense to me. I was able to always answer that question. I was able to make legal decisions about my divorce based on what was right because I was tuned into that part of myself. I was tuned into my heart and my love. And that didn't mean um, making decisions based on anger and retribution. It meant making decisions based on love and fairness and kindness and compassion, even if that meant being compassionate and fair towards him. I didn't mind that at all. So, okay. That was what reflection did for me. And that was truly, it was the first thing I did. And it was, I would argue, the most important thing I did because it laid the foundation for everything else. During this time, I also went to um, counseling. And he kind of became my coach as time went on as well. And I consider, this is step number two, by the way. And I consider to be incredibly important to work with someone a professional who can help you, who understands and can help you sort through these feelings. Because during my reflection, like I said, I had often more questions than I had answers. And I would bring these questions to uh, my counselor and he would help me work through them. And then sometimes I would discover things. Like I remember having an absolute epiphany on a plane once. I was reading something. No, I was watching a movie, sorry. And and oh, I started crying and crying and these words just flowed out of me on a piece of paper. Like I couldn't stop writing. I couldn't stop crying. It was it was truly um, a life-changing moment. And to be able to sit down with, with him when I returned from that trip and go through what had happened, I actually phoned him and said, I'm going crazy. I sat and cried on a plane for four hours. I don't know why. And I, I feel like I'm losing it. I need to talk to you. And when he let me talk through it and I read everything that I had written and he said to me, he goes, Elizabeth, you found yourself on that plane. I did. It was really quite amazing. I think I've done another episode on that before, but um, if not, I will talk more about that another time. But um, it was, it was so helpful to have someone sort through my my sometimes muddled and emotional thinking and to find the, the nuggets in there or to help steer me towards the answer. Uh, it was incredibly helpful. And, um, and actually, I'll get back to some of the benefits of working with someone like that in a few moments as well with one of the other ones. Um, but it was, and also, I know a lot of you express that you feel you're overburdening your friends and your family by talking to them all the time. Having someone to talk to, and I talk to him every week for a year, by the way, uh, having someone to go to every week who I never felt that sort of guilt or that, oh, God, I must be boring you with this. A place where it truly was just about me unloading was also a, like a sanity thing for me to be able to do that. So I really recommend as part of your healing journey is to work with someone professionally if you can if you can afford it. Um, find a way to do that. This is actually one of the reasons I created the Rising Free Membership. Uh, it, it's a group coaching membership. So we meet once a week 
and I coach on a variety of topics and then there's an opportunity to ask questions. And so the membership fee is monthly and it is so low that it is, it is even on a monthly basis a fraction of what you would pay for even one hour with a coach. So it makes it affordable and accessible to people as they're going through this and such an opportunity for healing and community. So I will make sure to post about the Rising Free membership. There will be a link for that in the show notes below. Okay, moving on to number three, acceptance. I know, it's hard to accept what has happened, especially if this wasn't your um, your decision. And so when I wrote down the notes for this, I actually put in brackets, partial acceptance. Let's just start with accepting that it's happened. Not that you're accepting that this is your new life. That I know that that can feel really big and really impossible because maybe you're still trying to reconcile. Maybe you're still fighting to save this marriage. And I'm, I don't want to take that away from you and I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. I'm just asking you to say to yourself, I accept that this is what's happening right now. Can you do that? I accept that this is what's happening right now. The benefit of doing that is it won't feel like such a constant battle inside to work towards healing. And I think that sometimes the unknown battle that we aren't aware of it's the fight inside is, I don't want to heal from this. I don't want this to be happening. I want to fix this. And then I won't need to heal from it. I don't think many people have that articulated in their mind. But I see it in my clients. I see it in my Facebook group when people are talking. It can show up as, you know, they present their problem. And then I might say, or if it's in the Facebook group, there might be several people who, who give suggestions for things to do, like, you know, get some help or maybe try meditation or try journaling or read this book or listen to this podcast. And the response will be, I've tried and none of those things are working or I know that won't work for me or that's not for me. You know, it's this pushback where there's this cry for help and then everybody responds with offers of help. And this is kind of like, yeah, that's not going to work or you don't understand, or it's just not, I just can't, it's just beyond my capability to accept this kind of help. That's, it's a lack of acceptance that this is happening right now. And it is also a refusal of healing because healing feels like accepting. And if I don't accept this, then maybe it just isn't happening. If I refuse to accept it, then it just won't happen. It's just not the way it works. So I know this can feel really hard, especially at first, and especially if this isn't what you wanted. So there are, these are like three little things that can help you with acceptance. Number one is complete honesty about what is happening and why. And in that also trying to stop the romantic wishful thinking. You know, why can't he just see that he's throwing away this beautiful life? Why can't she understand how much she's hurting me? The focus becomes so much about them and not about you. And if you're not focused on you, then there's no acceptance, right? Your focus is only on how could this person be doing this to me? We need to accept that whatever's happening, it's happening. We don't have to understand it. We don't have to be okay with it. 
we don't have to be approve of it. Um, we don't have to want it, but we just need to say, this is what's happening. And that's just the way it is right now. So be completely honest with yourself about what is happening and why, and try to avoid, like I said, the romantic wishful thinking. The other one um, is believing that healing is possible. This is, to me, is a big part of accepting what's happening. It's believing that you can feel better regardless of what happens. Right now, I understand that maybe all you can accept in your heart is that this is what's happening. I accept that I feel tremendous grief because my marriage is ending and I don't want this. I accept that. It's what's happening right now. Can you also accept that it is possible to heal from this? And I think that's where we get stuck. It's like, okay, fine, this is happening right now. I get it. Like I'm in, I'm in terrible pain. And this is where the pushback comes. There's no way I'll ever be able to heal from this. I will always be grieving. I will always be wishing I could have my partner back. There is no way that this pain will ever leave me, right? All I'm asking you to do is to try to accept or believe that it's possible that you can feel good again. And if you can't accept that, maybe accept that I believe. Let me hold the belief for you right now that healing is possible for you. And maybe you can find a space to say, okay, Elizabeth, I accept that you believe that healing is possible for me. I think even just saying that to yourself will feel a little bit lighter than I don't believe in healing at all. All right, let's move on to number four. This one is simple and incredibly effective. And it's so simple that many dismiss it. And it's gratitude. Look, it's free and it's essential. It was probably what really created the tipping point for me. The reflecting that I mentioned in the beginning was probably the most important thing I did because I learned so much about myself. But it was the gratitude that took me from feeling like a victim every morning to feeling good in the morning, or at least okay, and allowing for the possibility that I could feel better. So it helped me with number three, okay? Gratitude. Let's make it simple. It doesn't have to be for the big things. I know there's a lot of things happening in your life right now that you don't want. So what's to be grateful for, right? Let's be grateful for little things. Like when you wake up in the morning, promise yourself you're going to say four things you're grateful for. That's what I did. I started small. Four things. I would sit up in bed and I would say, I am grateful for my relationship with my boys. I'm grateful for my house. I'm grateful for this bed. You know, maybe you wake up in the morning and you, you don't want to get out of bed and you can say to yourself, I am so grateful to have such a comfortable bed. I'm grateful for this day. I'm grateful for the sun rising. I'm grateful for this cup of coffee that I've just made myself this morning, for example. It can be little things. But the more you, you name off, rattle off things you're grateful for, you will feel better. I promise. Because when you're focusing on the things 
that you have in your life, the things that you don't have start to drift more in the background. You have so much. There's always something. Be grateful for a cuddle with your cat or your dog. Be grateful for a snuggle with one of your kids. Be grateful for, I don't know, your ear pods that are allowing you to listen to this podcast. Be grateful for the podcast. Be grateful for the people that are supporting you in your life. Be grateful for, I don't know, just about anything. Just rattle them off. Even when when grief and sorrow overcomes you, turn to gratitude. Number five, support. Support is crucial throughout this entire journey. And by support, I'm not talking necessarily about um, a therapist or a coach or a counselor. I'm talking about the people in your life, your friends, your family, the people that support you. And it is crucial to choose support or your support team um, among people who actually lift you up. So one of the things that can happen with our support people is that they become kind of invested in the negative story. They always want to hear the negative gossip. They want to talk about the bad things. And so I have a lot of my clients who will say after a while when they're trying to pull themselves out of this funk, out of this ill feeling and move forward, is that every time they run into their friends or their friends come over or they go out with them, so tell me what's going on. And they, they keep kind of harping on the negative and they want to, I don't know, they, they want to be there for you. But it kind of forces you into a situation where you're reliving the story, the negative side of it, the painful part of it, retelling it and kind of continuing to dip into that negative pool of emotions. It's important to, like I said, choose people who are going to be there for you no matter what and to choose people where you can say, I don't want to talk about that today. Today, I want to focus on something positive or today I want to talk about you or, you know, I want to focus on doing things or talking about things that are going to make me feel better, not worse. Friends who understand that and who will meet you where you are, who will understand where you are and friends who really spend more time listening than talking. You know, I had a an incredibly dear friend, um, my best friend still is, who she was, you know, I generally speaking, if something happened, I called her. And if she didn't hear from me in the morning, she called me in the morning. And if she didn't hear from me later in the day, she usually checked in with me later in the day to see how things were going. She was incredible at checking in. And even when I called her because something had happened, she would just let me talk. And often the answer I needed or the solution that I was looking for from her would come to me while we were talking. So at the end of the, you know, I'd I'd go on some tirade about what had happened and what am I going to do? And I'd keep talking. And then she'd say to me, it sounds like you already have the answer. And I usually did. And she, so she never imposed her opinions on me unless I still needed it. And having someone check on me regularly, having someone who just listened, um, who absolutely commiserated with me when I needed that was also hugely important to have that support, um, that person who knew everything and who loved me anyway, um, was really, really valuable to me. One of the things too that I value so much about my friendship with her is the honesty that surrounds it. Uh, She's someone 
that if I call her and say, am I being unfair if I do this? Or is this coming from a place of vindictiveness? Or am I right to do this? For example, if it was a decision connected to the kids and to him, and I wanted to make sure I wasn't just acting out of anger, for example, she would tell me if I was. She didn't just tell me what I wanted to hear. She told me what I needed to hear and what I was asking to hear from her. So if you have a friend who will be honest with you in a kind and loving way and who will really hear you and that her honesty isn't about imposing her opinion or his opinion, but it is, it is an honesty of, you know, I heard what you said and I believe this to be the right path, that kind of honesty, or it sounds like you're coming from anger or whatever, you know, that person, uh, if you have someone like that in your life, spend time with them. Uh, be grateful for them. Uh, be there for them as well. Make sure that there are days when you're not all about you, that there are days that are all about them. And uh, yeah, value that friendship. Hold on tight. Um, it really helped me. It really helped me a lot. It was really what I needed at the time. So I really recommend looking for those people in your life. And they can come from the most unlikely places, by the way. When this happened to me, uh, my my friend that I just mentioned to you had already been my best friend for a long time and she still is but there were some other people that drifted into my life during that time they just kind of showed up they had women who'd gone through divorce when I told them what had happened um, they were able to be there for me in a way that even she wasn't because they could understand the emotions around it so they provided a different kind of support for me which I also really needed and I really valued the last one I want to talk to you about number six is knowledge or call it education, whichever one makes sense to you. And this is where your divorce team comes in. It is surrounding yourself with the people that you need advice from to gain the knowledge and understanding from a practical perspective that you need as you're going through this. So this is your divorce team. This is your therapist again, or your counselor, um, your lawyer, an accountant, perhaps a financial advisor. Um, maybe it's a, a child our parenting kind of coordinator, counselor, person, um, mediator. It could be, basically it's your divorce team. It's the team of professionals. Go to them for the knowledge that you need regarding legal matters, um, understanding what's, you know, what's best for the children, learning about different parenting agreements, um, you know, all of the things, the practical things. Go and get advice from the source that is best equipped to give it to you. And know that it doesn't just have to be your lawyer. A lawyer is a very expensive person to ask for help with filling out a form. You can use a divorce coach or an accountant to help you with that for a fraction of the cost. It is also extremely expensive to ask your lawyer why your you know, ex is treating you the way that they are, why, um, you know, how to overcome a situation where you're divorcing a narcissist, for example, talk to your therapist. So really surround yourself with the professionals that can answer your questions. Pop into my Facebook group and ask in there if sometimes there are some incredibly knowledgeable women in the group who are going through this who know so much who can help you answer that. The link will be below, of course. With that, I think it's time to wrap this up. This is a long episode compared to normal, but there's a lot of work to go through here. And I hope that this has been helpful to you. I also want you to know that 
I have availability for some new clients. So if you are looking for some of this guidance, if you would like to speak to someone who not only understands your journey because I've been through it, but have literally done everything that I suggested to you today, I can help you through these steps. I would love to have an opportunity to chat with you about even what that would look like. So feel free to contact me. Again, that'll be below. Let's set up a session. Let's talk and let's see if I can help you move through this healing in a way that is that, that feels productive and has some momentum to it and doesn't feel so awful. Because you know what? It doesn't have to be awful. My healing journey was sometimes really hard, but also a lot of the time really beautiful. It was such a journey of self-discovery. And honestly, looking back, I'm so grateful for it. Do I love the fact that I got divorced? Of course not. But I love what I've learned and I love the life I've created for myself. I want that for you as well. So I look forward to hearing from you, working with you, and until next time, have the most beautiful day.